Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Listen to Matt Levy and Mark Rossi as they put their cinema studies degrees to good use and induct the best movies of all time into their own Hall of Fame. With no further ado, roll the camera. Hey guys, welcome back to the Hall of Fame movie, but today you're listening to the Hall of Fame TV podcast because we decided after almost a year now of talking about some of our Hall of Fame movies, we would do a one episode, kind of like a, a spinoff where we would talk about some of our favorite shows. So I'm back hosting, I'm Matt Levy, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mark Rossi. How are you, Mark? Doing great. I'm ready to spread our wings on this new adventure here. I think that much like with your economic portfolio, it's important to diversify. We're doing the same thing here. Totally. Mark, we're going to think of this rather than a miniseries, because this is just going to be our one episode TV discussion. It's more like that TV special, that made for TV special that we're, we're doing today. The one night only event. That's definitely the way that I would prefer to think of it, uh, a special event. I like the vibe. I, I'm totally into it. So what we wanted to do, guys, is kind of talk about some of our absolute favorite. If we were going to have an all of Hall of Fame, talk about some of the highs and lows of some of our favorite shows. Now, there's countless other shows that me and Mark have watched from Live Love Lucy and Bewitched to all the way to the most recent shows between like Mandalorian and Loki. And we're going to try and cover some of our favorites. Being that we are film lovers, sometimes some of the best films, some of the best stories are told, Mark, on our, our silver screen, the small screen. Yeah, as as much as we're a fan of like the, the silver screen and, and taking it to the big screen and enjoying things there, we are fortunate to live in a time, especially now, where there are movie quality types of uh presentations and different stories that are being told on TV. So I think that's like the big benefit of all the competition with all the different streaming services and all the different ways we can get content now is that we have all these really different stories and great creators just trying all different things and that's whether it's in the long form series or if you have some of these anthology series where it's loosely connected, we we have the benefit of having great stories in multiple different avenues. Yeah, I think that's very well said because people say the golden age of film, people can argue their favorite decade or time or era, whether it was the silent films or some of the early color films. And there's just different things you can argue. But people almost unanimously say that we've been living in a golden age of, of TV for some time now since HBO and, and stars and Showtime have put together some of these high quality and then even some on, on cable, some really well-scripted, well-written shows. Right. And we're really living in a fortunate time, Mark. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there have been some great shows, which if you told me years ago that AMC was going to end up putting together some of the great shows that you've seen and some of the most impactful shows of the last few decades, I would have thought you were crazy. But here we are, and that is the reality that we live in. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I thought let us start by digging into some of these and some of them we might just talk about very briefly, whether it's a minute or two and some we might want to dive into. This is kind of a loosey goosey episode. and We'll have some fun with it. So the first one, Mark, that you and me, we came together, named a few that we just didn't discuss prior to kind of made our right. own few favorites. And this was on the top of our list. And I don't know if it says a lot about our personalities or the things we like, but the first show was an ABC show from mostly the 2000s and later transferred to NBC uh, starring uh, Zach Braff and Donald Faison, the show Scrubs. Mark, what does Scrubs uh, mean to you? Scrubs just reminds me of when I was in college. I remember watching Scrubs. I was a little late to the party and I watched an ep a few episodes of Scrubs at a friend's dorm and decided, oh, I just want to catch up. And I I remember catching up on, I think, five seasons of the show in three days instead of studying for finals. So I was full of great decisions at the time. But Scrubs is a show that like is near and dear to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the time that I was watching it and the humor is just kind of been able to, tra to transcend as I age because of that type of fondness I have for it. But it also has just 
to me, it's like the gold standard of finale episodes, excluding the final season where they tried to push an extra season and it's med school and it doesn't count. But if you look at the original series closure, as far as tying up everything and giving you all the payoff for watching it for a long time, having like the really poignant type of fi- final interactions with all the characters, I think they really nailed that. Yeah, you said it great, and I can relate on so many levels. This show is an ensemble show. It's a great cast, and it hit me at the similar time. I think I was in my sophomore year of college, and I binged three or four seasons, and then I watched it week to week. This was a show that I just clung to. I don't think because the age we were, we were able to almost relate to some of these characters and things they were going through in their life and their trials and tribulations. And I also love the balance. I loved the comedy. But there were a lot of emotional beats and the characters went through some really dramatic moments and they did a really good job i think from one moment having this ridiculous silly moment to something that is true and heartfelt and i think they balanced that better than most shows and i think both sides of the coin really hit with me yeah i think that's really important to kind of give credit where credit is due to them there obviously were first and first and foremost a comedy show but those dramatic episodes they really would dig in and and not cheapen it i i think with trying to get laughs where they weren't there and allow the actors that were capable of those dramatic scenes as well particularly the the cox and, and jd relationship when when cox kind of falls off after losing a bunch of patients and jd's the one that brings him back and for those that are unfamiliar, this is a spoiler, but it's you're literally two decades late, so I don't feel that bad about spoiling it. But throughout the series, Dr. Cox, in the mentor role, had basically just called JD different girls' names the entire time, never called him by his actual name, called him newbie or a girl's name. And when he helped kind of bring him out of this dark place, he puts his hand on his shoulder in a bar and says, JD, thank you. And I'm like, I'm getting emotional just talking about it right now because it was just such a great emotional. Uh, well, I think a lot of, of people show. can relate to wanting, seeking someone's approval or seeking right. someone's, just showing that that you that you're capable and that you are good enough, and that's something that JD always was seeking. Right. And yeah, this show did that really well and getting those emotional moments. I I, I feel them too. And I am thankful for the show. It's a show that I think you could probably say as well if, it, if it's on. It's a show you want to easily rewatch. Like you said, it does have a good ending. And yeah, it does keep going a little bit, but the show has a really good true ending, what we consider the true ending. And to this day, I think it's it's aged really well. Yeah, for me, I think it's aged, it's aged well. It's still fun to watch and turn on. If I happen to be browsing through channels, I yes, I still have cable. And if I pass through like Comedy Central, it's on there every once in a while, and I'll just be reminded like, oh... Let me let me go watch through a few more episodes of this. And I think what's important last to, to remember about the show is at that time, Mark, you had shows like ER and Grey's Anatomy, right. which were, 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 were very high strung, tense, very heavy, very heavy. And for me personally, I, I didn't enjoy those shows. I know people love them and all credit to you for the show that you enjoy. This felt more like real life because we are day to day. Even when we're at our jobs, we're making light of things. We are trying to make the best of things. And yeah, things do get serious from time to time, but not everything is 24-7, these emotional, high-strung, heavy moments. And Scrubs, I don't know why I felt just truer to life. Right, it felt a little more grounded. Like, there were patients that were there, but it never felt like there was like, oh, there's a there's a gunshot victim here, and now we're in lockdown, and now there's a helicopter that's flown into the side of the building, and now there's a terrorist in the building. Like, it didn't feel... Yeah, it, it felt people, more like a day-to-day. People were checking in, and the, the, the patients were more normal. And, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. So Scrubs was an easy one for you and me to, uh, to label and name first. Uh, the second one, Mark, which is a little different than Scrubs, is I think a show only that slightly. is only slightly, but it is unanimously loved. It is considered probably, I'd say, most people's top TV show. If you had to put a list together, most people put this as their number one. This is... Breaking Bad, as you mentioned, an AMC TV show. Right. Breaking Bad, and it's going to have a similarity to a show that we're going to end up talking about later, Seinfeld, where I think the strength of the show is not only in the acting and having this unified vision, but knowing when the end of the line is and taking the exit. 
instead of trying to stay on the highway for another couple exits or an extra couple seasons to try to really just pad your wallet when you have this large fan base. But instead of doing something like that, they like, no, we know how what the story is, when it's going to end, and we're going to end it there. When they could have, if they wanted to, money-wise, AMC would have given them two more seasons for sure. But they close it off at five seasons, and I, I think that was the perfect time for them to do that. Yeah, I think that's the, the perfect thing that you started with, because half the shows that I think we're going to talk about today, I'm going to say, well, the first two or three seasons were really good, or right. one through four are really good, but then there's the but. And you're going to hear that so often. It's so hard, especially with a TV show, because you get involved with these characters for multiple seasons. Movies, I think we say often it's easier to stick a landing because you're writing the plot from beginning to end at once. But these TV right. shows, sometimes when they start writing them, Mark, they don't necessarily have a clear ending or the networks pay them to extend it and extend it and it ends up changing the original story. So yes, I want to credit Breaking Bad, like you said, for the characters, for the wonderful acting. The show is really well, well done. You can really pick anyone in this cast and say each one of them gave an excellent performance. And it tells a story that keeps you on the edge of your seat, keeps you interested, keeps it exciting. And I really think it is one of the masterpieces on television. I couldn't agree with you more. Vince Gilligan really gets a star turn as the creator of the show, as basically like an unknown before this, as like a, an occasional writer, I think, for The X-Files prior to this was his claim to fame. But he did a tremendous job as the visionary behind this show, whether it's from the writing, which he's done an excellent job, obviously, with the all the writers in that writer's room. But also, he was behind the camera for a lot of the pivotal episodes of this of the show, including the the final episode. Um, the thing that I thought was always impressive about Breaking Bad and why I have it rated so highly, possibly as my favorite show of all time, is that it seemed like with each season finale, it would get crazier. Like, you, you, you got to the end of the first season, and this is where it actually benefited them that they were on the writer's strike because it got delayed, so they had to take a little extra time to develop who was going to be alive and who wasn't, but it was a crazy ending for the first season. You get it's a it's kind of a slow burn to get to the end of that first season, and then when you get to the end of season two, and then three, and then four, it just the finales as they kept one upping how incredible the finales could be. So that by the time you get to the end of the first half of season five, it was it was unquestionably the best show on television at the time. It was must-see TV. And there's no better compliment that you can have for a show is that when you have your show be must-see TV for every episode of the second half of your final season, and at the end of it, you don't have a lot of people being let down. Yeah, I, I think that's the crowning achievement that any any show strives for. And I caught on at the right time. I didn't start watching the show till they said, the next season is the final season. So then I oh. binged everything up to it. And then I started watching week to week on the final season. I feel like that's the best way to get on any show. I envy you. <laughs> because when you watch a show from the from season one or two and you're waiting week to week, I feel like it loses something. When you can binge four seasons of a, or five seasons of a show and then watch just the last season, there's something special to that. But Mark, like you said, Vince uh, Gilligan was semi-unknown. This was a huge breakout for him in his career. Right. But but the actors on this show also were True. not well known and they are now monster stars because of Breaking Bad. You can look at Giancarlo Esposito, right, who signature villain acting performance and he's now a legend. I mean, people mm -hmm. adore this guy. He's in he's everything. He's the crossover into video games too. He's in video Cry games villain. in Far Cry. He's been yeah. recently, obviously, in The Mandalorian. Jonathan Banks, who plays Mike, and then obviously you have the two stars, Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston, who had acted. They had done things prior right. to this, but they were not household names because of. And Brian Cranston, you can you can make an argument was more of a household name because of some of the other shows he had been on. Right, but in a very different way. He was known for being the dad and Malcolm in the Middle, and then he's been one of the greatest anti-heroes, heroes, depending on how you look at Walter White of all time on in television but, history. But people didn't know they ha he had this kind of performance in him. I mean, this right. is an acting job that is 
up there with some of the best and i'm sure he won emmys i'm not looking at it right now but i'm sure mm-hmm. he won several right. emmys for his performances so this is a show that i think is timeless i think it's a great show if anyone hasn't watched if there's anyone out there on planet earth that hasn't is there a better show to binge and watch than breaking bad mark I don't think that there is. And I think one other thing that I want to make note of that is going to also obviously carry over into Better Call Saul. But one credit that I think that Vince Gilligan and the the crew at Breaking Bad should really be applauded for was having the courage to go with a lot of different comedic actors and straight up stand-up comedians in important roles giving them the 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 trust that they would be able to handle the drama and wow did did it ever pay off yeah i mean brian cranston won and obviously bob odekirk the other those two are mainly known for comedy prior to this so so mark i think that leads us let's let's go right into better call saul next the show that now i believe is going into its sixth season Mm -hmm. uh, impatiently we're waiting we are waiting 2022 for for six the sixth season to start now i'm gonna throw a hot take out there and it might Mm -hmm. not be one that you agree with as good as Breaking Bad is, I actually think Better Call Saul has eclipsed it. I don't think that's as hot of a take as as you think it was, but it, it is it's it's such an excellent show. And similar to I think Breaking Bad, people that wanted it to be Breaking Bad season five immediately are the people that are really kicking themselves now because they they exited the train early and now it's it's full steam Absolutely. ahead to what's going to be a ridiculous conclusion. Bob Odenkirk was fantastic in a bit part in in Breaking Bad as Saul Goodman. And the question in my mind, and and a lot of people's mind obviously, was how is that going to translate? Is he going to be able to be the leading man in in this story for for Saul? And are you going to care about it, right? We, We talked about a movie, we talked about Black Widow, where you have a beloved character that's unfortunately been kind of a sidekick character, a bit role in sorts for multiple different movies, and would it stand up as a standalone? And it was yes, but. We were talking about before the yes, but. In the case of Bob Odenkirk and and Saul Goodman, I don't think there's a but. He is absolutely a phenomenal leading man. The, The story is compelling they've done incredible things with the story and also bringing in other characters from breaking bad but not making it feel forced it feels very organic within the story you give different i think angles to the the backstory of the character specifically mike mike had one of the highlight episodes of of season one so yeah i i still have breaking bad higher but it's not the gap is much smaller than i would have thought it would have been when the show started for uh, better call saul yeah, I don't think Better Call Saul is as underrated as they make it out to be. I think it is finally getting, for several seasons now, it's getting its due. But you're right. People that watch season one and two that I know and I speak with, they were, I don't think, even maybe bored or they didn't catch on to it. And like you just said, I was not interested in the show. When they announced the spinoff starring yeah. Saul Goodman with Bob Odekirk, I thought his character was kind of a bit character. He was kind of this, like, right. you know, lawyer, junk lawyer. And... I was like, I don't want to watch a full show about this guy. When I heard by season three, I got on, I think, season three, how good Mm -hmm. the show was. It was some of the best drama ever written. I said, I got to watch this show. And I binged seasons one and two. And I said, damn, if they are right. And you're right. They they flushed out the character of Mike. I think meeting Saul Goodman's brother, Jimmy's brother, Chuck, Michael McKean, was fantastic on this show. In the first few seasons, he was excellent. And then you have to give it to my favorite character on the show, Kim Wexler, uh, Rhea mm-hmm. Seahorn. She is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. As, as this bo- truly three-dimensional, fully believable character that's going through all these things with Jimmy. And I, I just I, this, there's no better show, I think, on television right now than Better Call Saul. Right. And I think the thing that makes it really great is that when you see when you see Saul in Breaking Bad, he's very much fully formed into this caricature type of character, right? And any semblance of, of Jimmy McGill is gone. But the interesting part about this show is that you know where he ends up, and you know that you don't see Kim there. So now you're like, how long can you keep me interested? They can keep you interested for a while, and it's not just kind of, again, that's the same type of thing where they have 
the exit roads they can take. They have a clear picture of how long it's going to take for them to get to the story. And I don't think that they've, they've trimmed all the fat off of it. I feel like it's it's going to be a humdinger of a final season, and I, I can't wait to see how it ends. Well, I think a great thing you said is nothing felt forced in, in bringing on other characters to jump on. And lastly, I think this actually enhances Breaking Bad because I think it actually gives growth to all the characters. It fleshes them out, some of the characters you didn't get to spend as much time with. And I think each right. show complements each other very well. Right, which is a rarity. If you have when you have a, a spinoff that's a prequel, it's very rare that it it so perfectly complements the the show that it spun off from. A lot of the times they're they're great separate from each other, but if you bring them together, then the storylines intertwine a little more messy, and you're like maybe we should just look at them slightly separate. But I think this is the rare occurrence where you, because you have that overlap of of Vince Gilligan and and Peter Gold that there's a singular type of vision tying it together so that it feels really well constructed. Well, next, Mark, I want to talk about one that because we're talking about right now shows that just stuck their landings. We talked about Scrubs, we talked about Breaking Bad, and we hope Better Call Saul. I have faith that they will stick this awesome landing. But now let's talk about a couple shows and unfortunately, this is more common than not, Mark, that shows that don't stick their landing. Let's start with a little show called Dexter, one show that is coming back. They're trying right. to maybe rewrite or fix the ending or give us a new ending. Mm-hmm. But tell me what sh- the show Dexter means to you. Well, you know, retconning comes to mind that they're they're trying to retcon a great ending in there. Dexter was a show that just kind of just out, I think it just outstayed its welcome. And then I think when you got to the final season, there was just a little bit of a lack of clarity of vision on how they wanted the story to end. And the unfortunate consequences of of timing is that they were closing at the same time that Breaking Bad was closing their their doors, essentially. And Breaking Bad's penultimate episode ended the way that that essentially, well, not not identically, but close enough that you could make the comparison that Dexter ended, but Dexter's series had ended, and you're like, wait, this is it? What what happened? Well, the shows were similar in that there were lots you're, of you're twists ro- and turns early in Dexter that were you're rooting for antiheroes. Both shows right. are these guys you're rooting for that are really not good people, right? And that's Dex- an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should definitely yeah. uh, put some emphasis on that, but. Dexter was a show that I thought the first four seasons I think were as good as any show out there. I mean, as far as like mystery, crime, the twists, the turns, like you said, the characters, the acting, and it's a full ensemble. You care about everyone that Dexter works with, his family. It's all really good world building. But four is sort of the peak. That's the Trinity killer people know is that season. And then seasons five, it's okay. Six, not as good. I think seven might be the last season. I could be forgetting wrong. It could be eight. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But I think it might be eight. Yeah, but it 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 it, it goes down a cliff. It's definitely like a like a peak, and then just just comes straight down. And that's a show that I think, like you said, overstayed its welcome. It wasn't clear what it wanted to be, what it wanted to do. And I'm hoping this rewrite can fix a show that is actually a really good show if you just stop after four or five seasons. Yeah, because you have you have everything that you can really hope for in in the early seasons. You have uh, a lot of suspense. You have great acting. You have conflicted characters, which I think is better. It's it, it, it's just better than when you have characters that are clean cut in one way or the other. And you have tragedy, right? Tragedy always makes for interesting television, but you can't keep tragedy going for eight seasons, so or seven seasons if if I'm, I'm wrong about eight. But yeah, it it the light shines really brightly early. So I think it it shines bright enough that you're willing to forgive the the leaner later seasons, which is going to be something we're talking about with another series very shortly. Yes. Well, let's go right into that next, because this one, I would say, is, is, is more controversial. I would say the ending of Dexter, I think most people didn't like, but the ending of Game of Thrones, a show that was probably, I would say, the biggest event television that we've had Maybe since Sopranos ended, I would say, or Seinfeld ended, it's just Game of Thrones became the biggest show on television over its 10 years. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people back and forth over their thoughts, their feelings on the final season, particular and the ending. 
But what are your thoughts now looking back at the show? It's not that long ago. What does Game of Thrones mean to you, Mark? So we're going to talk about binging shows and how it paid off for you and how it did not pay off for me. So having had the experience with Breaking Bad of the final season and how it became an event where multiple friends of mine, we would get together and watch Breaking Bad every night to the point that when we had the finale, all of our different watching groups got together into a large viewing party and had a whole Breaking Bad night, right? That was what I had in my head when I knew that Game of Thrones was coming to its final season. So I had resisted watching the show. I had watched what I call the culturally significant episodes where you watch like The Red Wedding, you watch all, all those types of episodes where there's like major events that people are going to talk about. And I'm like, I want to be in on the conversation. But I decided, well, this is the new Breaking Bad, right? This is going to be the Breaking Bad final season. So I want to be in on it. So I binged the entire series, which took several weeks. And I just made it before the the premiere of the final, the first episode of the final season. Needless to say, the parties did not convene together the same way for the end of Game of Thrones as they did for Breaking Bad, because as the season progressed, it seemed to become more and more evident that Benioff and Weiss had no idea how the hell they were going to land this thing. And by the time it got to the finale, everyone was just like, I'm just going to stay home and watch it with my wife. I'm like, oh, cool. I've literally watched none of these episodes with anyone at all. And this is, I, I did this so I could be part of the social aspect of it. Well, it's so funny. I have a bitter taste in my mouth about Game of Thrones. It's funny because we did the same thing and we, we would make an appointment viewing. We had party, watch parties at our house, someone else's house. And after a few episodes, we realized uh, this is not a must, must watch. We can watch <laughs> on our own. We can record it, watch the next day. Yeah, this show was fantastic in terms of production value, right. world building. I watched the first three seasons binging, and then I was watching week to week for five, six years. Right. And I thought some of the later seasons, seasons six, seven, eight, leading up to the final season, I thought were some of the best. And I think the biggest problem, I, me personally, I didn't mind the way the story played out. I didn't mind the actual story and, and, and what happened. I just thought the last season, they tried to cram too much. Too, it was happening too quickly. People were traveling too fast. Mm -hmm. Stories, I thought they could have fleshed out more. They just jumped right into it, jumped right into it, jumped right into And I think that was because of, I think, some contract negotiations. It was too expensive. To Each episode was costing too much to make. And I yep. think by the 10th season, these all these actors were, were bigger than they were obviously the, the, the seasons prior. And I think that was part of it, trying to cram too much into the final season. Yeah, I agree with you on that. The, pr the problem I think with the show, other than that once they lost the source material, they really had no idea how to go from there and how to handle the characters. But the problem with the show also is just inconsistency in distance, uh, uh, distance traveled equaling time which is what you were just kind of going over. So you're you're in the world of Westeros for a long time, and you kind of have this internal clock in your brain established over the seasons of, this is how long it takes for a character to go this long across you're the right. world. And, and then they're in the traversing early seasons, it mid-episode. Right, you're, and the early seasons... It. It's crazy. It's it's fine early on because you'll see a character for an episode, and then maybe you won't see them for an episode or two, and you figure right. that's time happening. Right. But in the last season, we didn't get that because, like you said, you're seeing them move from location to location in the same episode. And you're like, man, this guy just traveled hundreds of miles. Yeah. You're, you're, like you're thinking about within the world. You're like, wow, these guys are really booking it. This is crazy. This took a season and a half before. This is now taking 20 minutes. Exactly. So it's it was a, a little much. That being said, though, the first few seasons of the show were absolutely must watch television because again like we were talking about before the previous shows you had fantastic writing you had phenomenal acting performances you had the production value hbo spared no expense for this show they put a ton of money into it it was a large risk that paid off very handsomely for them but because of that you got a quality show and you have to give credit to i mean people that read the book knew but you have to give credit to having your big payoff being like, well, we're going to get you this. We're going to show you this guy and how he is the 
perfect guy and he is the perfect hero of the story and then we're going to cut his head off and and there's nothing that anyone can do about it and you're like oh no one's safe right and establishing that early i think was was a very bold choice right for the series well i think that's something that you know another show we'll talk about shortly walking dead and this had in common is that you felt like at any point no character was safe and they back that up. I mean, they introduce so many characters on these shows that, and the, the, that's the gift is giving you all these characters to learn about in these areas. And it's confusing the beginning, but right. as you start to, they start to kill them off. You really feel like no one's safe. And truly, I mean, you look at the first three, four seasons, everyone you grow to love, they right. take away from you. They have, they have no problem taking anyone away. Right. They, they definitely have no problem with it there. I, again, there were so many great performances early. I think Peter Dinklage was incredible. Sean Bean was just Sean Bean, but he, that that's not necessarily a bad thing. He's he's great as Sean Bean. He's just Sean Bean and everything. But there are a lot of great performances. The thing that really, I think, the biggest betrayal of character to me in the final season was Varys. Because Lord Varys forgot how to be a spy. He... he he was a, a phenomenal spy with a network of, of different little little birds to keep him ahead of the game. And then in the final season, he's like, I'm just going to write everything on parchment and send it to people. I'm like, you are the worst spy I've ever heard of in my life. And that was the one that offended me most. The, the people I think that had the, the biggest problem with how the final season developed, me personally, I think it is parents that were overzealous and named their kid Daenerys and were mad. <laughs> I'm like, well, I think, maybe you should have figured that that wasn't well, I think the best if, person if, to name. If you looked character. at the path of her character, right? I don't think it was out of character. I just think it, it ha- the turn happened quicker than people wanted in the final season. It was a little. It was more than a little accelerated. In fairness it, to that, it, it didn't have as much time to marinate. But mm-hmm. I think, I think that was the trajectory, and yeah. I think I can still separate. The last few episodes and the last season from, I think, the greatness of this show and the world and the characters and still appreciate, like you said, the great performances, the right. great actors that we got from this that now have amazing careers that we didn't really know about. You know, people right. like Amelia Clark and uh, the actor Kit who's Harrington. Um, Kit Harrington. Absolutely. And you were saying Tyrion. Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. I mean, fantastic right. actors that are now mega stars who were well, no absolute nobodies right and i'll i'll just name drop also richard madden because richard madden and kit harrington will be in the eternals coming out in a week well richard madden i very quickly i do not believe this is a show you're familiar with but very quickly a mini series called bodyguard came out about two or three years ago maybe three or four years ago it was i think a bbc mm-hmm. six episode series but it's very much worth watching it hit hard it's about this a uh, bodyguard that saves someone early on and they begins these high he becomes this high prestigious bodyguard for someone else and it's a cool little mini series i think it's a fun fun watch if you're a richard madden fan oh perfect there you go that was a that was a fantastic transition but next we're transitioning to a, a beloved show that goes back a little further than game of thrones and that is seinfeld mark i wanted to talk next about jerry kramer elaine and george what does Seinfeld mean to you? Well, the the description for the TV show, which I think Larry David actually started to take offense to, and Jerry Seinfeld took offense to, is as the show about nothing. But I think that's that's more of a term of endearment, right? We we talk about Seinfeld in, in the sense, and I referenced it earlier with Breaking Bad, of a show that could have kept going for another two, three, four years if they wanted to, because the money was ridiculous that they were offering. But they said, no, the show's run its course, and they they ended the show. Now, the finale for Seinfeld is more than a little controversial among Seinfeld fans and the general public on whether it was a good or a bad ending. Watching it now retrospectively, I think it is the perfect ending that you can have for the show. It's literally, I think you had to grow to appreciate it. Yeah, you, it's literally repeating the conversation they had in the first episode Word for word, it's brilliant. And the fact that all of their transgressions against these people that you thought were nothing, because it's a show about nothing, come back to haunt them in the final episode as they all just testify against them was brilliant. And well, what there are like so many, there's so many great things that came out of the show, but it also had like words that came into like our regular nomenclature, right? Like yada, yada, yada 
became an actual thing that people said all the time. Or like, what was the expression? It's like shrinkage. Shrinkage. Shrinkage was another um, one. Double uh, dipping. Did you double dip? I feel like there's mm-hmm. so many things. You can go any episode. I feel like you just in your everyday life, you go out and live your life and you do activities, you do things or hang out people and you can bring a conversation or something you're doing back to Seinfeld, whether you're parking your car in a parking lot and you can't find your car, but they're all Mark classic episodes because they somehow find these simple things. How about Jerry driving in his car and he's scratching his nose and the people in the car next to him or the woman thinks he's picking his nose and we've all been there in these situations so they're all relatable and i think that's what makes the show so great i think it's a timeless show and people say certain things would break the episodes if people had cell phones or certain things right. or computers that were like we do today but the show just like you said it is a show about nothing and there's really no real continuity i mean these characters aren't really growing or changing all that much unless you're following George's career and jobs. But yeah, it, this show is just absolute comedy brilliance. Well, I think you actually are really onto something with saying that it captures something about life. If you think about our day-to-day, the day-to-day of our daily lives is basically nothing. You have different days of your life that are going to be highlights, but it's not every day. There are a lot of days that are just days, and they kind of bleed together. And that's what Seinfeld was. It was kind of like a glimpse into the day-to-day of these four probably pretty terrible people, but incredibly hilarious, both outwardly with their expressions, but also just the way they treated people. But yeah, it's just like it's a glimpse of the day-to-day, and I think that's part of the brilliance of it and makes it so timeless and relatable is that you're dealing with different everyday situations. Totally. And a show that has to be discussed almost neck and neck with friends is Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is Larry David's where he stars in it. It's his other creation. But for me, I don't think Curb reaches the heights of friends. I think most people agree. There's something more. It does feel. I'm sorry. What did I say? Uh, You said friends. Thank you for the correction. (laughs) I I, I don't think Curb matches the heights of Seinfeld. I think. The way that it's filmed, the way that it's shot is meant to make it feel more like it's just happening around you, a more a more realistic, more real right. life type situations than Seinfeld. But for me, there was more cringe worthy stuff. It almost felt like things from The Office where you're just like, no, Larry, stop. Stop doing it, Larry. Right. And Seinfeld for me didn't have as much of that. I wasn't cringing. I wasn't asked like saying, oh, why is George doing this? Why is you know Kramer doing this? Because it was always funny. With Curb, it's funny, but there were some episodes where I was like, oh, no, Larry, David, what are you doing? Right. No, I think I'm in the same exact ballpark as you as far as that's concerned, where there's a lot more moments where you're like just kind of just face palming yourself as as you're watching the show. But I think that might be just a kind of a development of what people like to watch. Like you just referenced The Office really, really hones in on that with, with Michael Scott. But yeah, there... There's a, it might not hit the heights of Seinfeld, but Curb is Curb Your Enthusiasm is just a, a great show, and Larry David is more than capable, both obviously as a writer and as a performer. He oh, was excellent. phenomenal in in Seinfeld, the strange time printer. Oh, uh, totally. So you knew that when he would it, when he'd be given the chance to shine in his own role, especially one of his own creation like this as well, that he was going to knock it out of the park. So that's another one where. Each time there's new episodes, you're you're excited to watch, and it still becomes must-watch TV. I agree. My favorite Curb episode, and I love discussing this moment, is actually an episode where one of the Seinfeld characters, when Jason Alexander had come on the show, and they went to, I believe, a diner together, or they went to lunch or, or breakfast together, and he wanted to see how much of a tip Jason Alexander <laughs> had left so he could tip similarly, and, 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 and Jason Alexander wouldn't show it to him. And it was this whole banter. <laughs> back and forth and it was brilliantly written brilliantly acted and i just love it and when i think about that show i always go back to this one scene that just is unforgettable yeah that's definitely a highlight well it's also things i think that kind of captures uh, the imagination of most people right you if you were with a famous person you'd be like how much is this person gonna tip right now because there were there's stories of of people i'm gonna put one on blast that this is it's an athlete like pete sampras was apparently famous for like not tipping people well whether that was valets or like dinner checks, he'd be like, I'll give you 
10%. And they're like, you are a millionaire. And he just like wouldn't, he just wouldn't tip people. Like valets, he would give them like $2. These are the stories that have, that have been told. So right. whether they're true or not, but like that's always kind of like in your mind. So when you see that kind of play out between the characters, it's just really great. It's awesome. And we'll jump next to a show that, that we had both just mentioned, and that is The Office. And I think you're right. I think the type of comedy and humor evolves and it changes. And from the the movies made by movies like Knocked Up and... Was Judd Apatow. Thank you. You got Apatow films. You got Adam Sandler movies going on and, and on one side. You, you got Island. shows so like... proud right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> a lot of comedy comes from, from, from New York. But yeah, the, the Office is one of those shows which capitalized on that cringe worthy show. What people like, they got almost some people get like an adrenaline rush. They enjoy the squirm nature of, of some of these these things that happen on the office when Michael Scott is just really putting his foot in his mouth. And the office was, I think, a, a movement. I think it was a huge thing. And the first two seasons were, were really quiet. It really picked up a little bit further on. But these characters, Jim and Dwight and Michael Scott and Pam and all these other characters in The Office, it became an ensemble show. You tuned in each week just to see what kind of nothing activities. I mean, there's no grand story or plot really on this show. Is are they selling paper? They're not talking about the paper, the business all that much. It's really just the interactions and the day-to-day business. Right. It's the interactions and the one-offs, right, that would normally kind of accent our own lives as well. But I think this is where they kind of Perfected, and it took a little while for them to really hit their stride. But that that confessional type of uh, framework of 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 the the comedy, and they are kind of the gold standard for that. And then that kind of carried forward into like Modern Family. But it it really hit its stride here, and a lot of that has to do with the work of like Steve Carell. Steve Carell being zany and ridiculous, and still just so incredibly likable even as his character is doing really off-color terrible things is just a talent that in and of itself yeah he's still very much likable he never becomes michael never becomes no and he does some really terrible things throughout the course of the show but it's just like the steve carell effect i don't think any other actor can find that type of a balance to still maintain likability i I absolutely agree i think it, it is a credit to steve carell and uh, Mark, the next show we actually touched on before, where we said it's hard to stick that landing. And AMC being this hot network, uh, I'd say it even probably eclipsed the popularity of Breaking Bad is The Walking Dead. It has its own spinoff show, but the main show, Walking Dead, was much must-watch television. It was bringing in viewers, I would say, from ages you know, 15 up to 55. I think there was a huge spread of people that loved this show. And I think it's, it's not, uh, I wouldn't say it's controversial to say the show has tailed off. The show is not as popular as it was a couple seasons ago. What is the walking dead for you? Walking dead was that first major crossover of the worlds of like comics into TV for, for me. I have a friend that was like very, very big into the walking dead comics prior to, the show even being a thing. And I remember we were on a trip to Grasshopper Comics to check out like what was new and out there. And there was a display. It says, now an AMC TV show. He says, dude, they made it into a show. How is this going to work? So even before that show came out, we were we were kind of excited about it. Like he had shown me a few different comics related to the series, obviously. So we had a, a feel for how the, the show was going to go. I think... Walking Dead is an interesting exercise because they've had so many changes to showrunners and their like production staff so that the the show has kind of reinvented itself multiple times. Like it originally was is very Frank Darabont and had like a feeling of like kind of like a Stephen King novel because that was what he's really best at. So it felt a little bit like The Mist early on and then it's it's transitioned it transitioned into action hero mode and then with the change to Angela Kang as showrunner They've changed it over into a little more horror base, which I which was welcome. So I think because it's gone through so many kind of different iterations and you have major story uh, points that are controversial, especially with Negan 
and just destroying and splitting the heads open of multiple people in the season premiere. The widespread audience support has kind of tailed off. It, it's been a highly influential show. You have Fear the Walking Dead. You have the Rick Grimes movies that are still going to be coming out. There's another show, I think, that's going to be starting soon within that same Walking Dead universe. So even though it's tailed off, it's still hugely popular. And obviously yeah, the, it's been a cash cow for AMC. Oh, it's been a huge cash cow, and that's why it's still going. And and like sometimes probably against the audience's better judgment, the show probably should have ended and the problem mark i always see with zombie shows is or zombie movies or zombie stories it's hard to end them you know right. the, the resident resident evil stories and movies and games the uh, 28 days and 28 weeks later world war z all these different zombie shows and movies it's very hard to make a, an ending good because what are you going to do you're going to kill finish off all the zombies and create right. a happy world i mean there's really it's very difficult to create a happy ending or a good ending you're right. The show has changed. And you and me have talked on this podcast about pivots. I think with Fast and Furious the most. Right. That's the number one. <laughs> this show has pivoted a lot. I mean, if you look at season one, it's a very different show than seasons two, three, and four, where you go to then the farm, to the prison, and right. all these different places, and the Negan, and then there's that city, that town that they're in. So there's there's this show has evolved and changed and sometimes taken steps back, taken steps forward, and it's been more yeah. of a drama, more of an action show, like you said as you follow different characters that were killed off. And again, kind of like Ned Stark in season one, here you had John Bernthal, who was this great character in season one who's killed off. And there's this spoiler. Sorry for, for right. those just watching. Sorry but, for the Shane, the Shane fans that are really getting into episode two and three. Yeah, but the, the, the show, it has some great actors, some good drama. But you're right. You hit the nail on the head. Negan, who's supposed to be a great villain from the comics, comes on the show with a blast. They wanted to come in guns a blazing. And it was a bit much, I think, for people. Even people that watched a zombie show, that was a bit much. And that turned me off. And I watched probably six or seven episodes after that. And I just, I, I lost interest. And that's for a show that I had six or seven years invested. Right. And I just gave up. I said, I didn't care anymore. Right. And that's really seemed to be kind of the line in the sand or, or where it kind of forked off for a lot of people. I kind of liked that that particular episode because it was almost a panel for panel recreation so it felt more like walking dead than a lot of the previous seasons where it felt like they watered it down a little bit so it was kind of unapologetically like robert kirkman-esque for one episode and then they're like oh too much pull it back and then i felt like the rest of the season felt a little more directionless because if i'm remembering correctly they were still in production it's just the way walking dead is because they would do half a season take a break and then come back for the second half so because they're still in production they took all the feedback and like the peep the number to the, the like the impact to their viewers and they just scaled everything back so the rest of that season felt uneven because they ended up kind of letting the numbers dictate their story, which I thought was a mistake. And then eventually, it, it might have been a season or two after that, they changed showrunners again to Angela Kang. And I think they kind of refound their footing because they just took it into a different way that's more like horror based and talking about the psychological horror of the characters and, and kind of playing up that aspect of it. So, which it, I think it has is cool. Pivoted. Yeah. I think that is cool, and I think it's great that they can go in these different directions. But I agree with you. I think at some points, the direction, and I don't think they clearly knew what they what they wanted to do at different times and even where they wanted the story to go right. at different times. So it's a show that I don't think has, has, from what I've heard now, really found its footing again. It's it's stuck on to a few characters, and it's really hung yeah. on to a, a couple other fan favorites. But I, I don't know. I don't know the most recent stuff. I don't know. If it's gotten back to any of those highs. I don't think it's hit the same highs. It's been a perfectly fine show, but you nailed the head on. I'm sorry, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier by saying that. The, the Lucille show, on the head? The I Lucille. The, the Lucille. <laughs> you, you, you nailed it by saying that they, they would sometimes just take two steps back after taking one step forward. And that was the real problem with the mid to late seasons of this show. Yeah, totally. So I think we'll talk about one more, Mark, because we are. Running a little long, we might have to even do a second TV episode to talk about some more shows. But Mark, let's talk about a show that's also loved. That was a, a premium cable, premium you know network show uh, called The Wire, which I, I believe came out in the '90s. Is that correct? 
I believe so, yes. I will do a quick little fact check here to see the exact time. Actually, 2002. 2002, yeah. And it ran through uh, 2008. So a show that is not all that old. But Mark, when I watched it, and I watched it a few years ago, it feels really old. Yeah, it definitely feels very much dated in like the late, the mid-late 90s because of the technology that's being used there. And also, it, I don't think it helps that it was filmed in like 4.3. So that also kind of dates it as well, but it I don't think it, it puts any strain on how phenomenal the writing is and 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 how great the acting is in this show, because it is out of this world. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from the show saying that it feels very much of the period that it's it's filmed and made, but you're right. The characters, the story, the performances it's really interesting. It feels real. It feels small. It feels tight. But I watch shows like 24, which is on this list. And I know it's not one you've watched. And I really like many seasons of that show. It's a really good show. But everything is saving the world from some global attack. Right. This show, it, it's smaller. It's tighter. It's grittier. And there's something great about that, that these people all feel like living, breathing characters that, that could exist. Right, because you're focusing on crime syndicates in a, in a city, right? So it's not, it doesn't have to be a global scale, but you just have to have something that's going to be impactful. And it shows just, like, the impact that it has to, like, the Baltimore area has that very Baltimore, specific... Yeah. Right, that very specific feel. But you also have, like, so many phenomenal actors in here that are, like, household names now. You obviously have, like, Idris Elba. You have Dominic West. You have Michael B. Jordan in, like, a really small role. Spoiler alert, he doesn't survive very long. You have the, the late, great Michael K. Williams. So you have, like, so many great actors in here. I think the, the frustrating part about this series was the... If you watch season one, there's a flood, there is a smorgasbord of characters that you have to get familiar with, and you get familiar with them by the end of, like, your first season, which is, like, 10, 12 episodes, and you're like, I got this, I got this, and then season two launches, and they just move to a completely different part of the city, and it's all new characters, you're just like, damn it, I don't got it, it. And what happens then is it just takes a few episodes for you again to become re-familiarized. Yeah, to get familiarized yeah. again and, and to learn who these people are and some of the new characters that brought on and right. why why you should care about them. But eventually you do get sucked back in. But you're right. There is something about that in this show that when they jumped in season one, season two, I had that same feeling. It's a little I was, jarring. It is. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I don't know if I'm going to keep watching. I enjoyed right. season one. But quickly and surely the writing is good enough. The story is good enough that you get pulled back in. Yeah, they, they tie together in the later seasons the importance of the characters that you see in, in the second season and why they kind of like focus on the Greeks in the second season. But I think this also kind of continue our theme of with like Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead of no one being safe. I think like the the pivotal scene for me in this series was when D'Angelo's in prison and he gets assassinated like he gets assassinated he gets wiped out and it's very uncomfortable the way they did it too but effective and i think it made it so you could feel the desperation of d'angelo and then realizing that he's gonna die and there's like no way out of it and then at the same time as a viewer separated from the experience of the character you're like okay this guy was basically our our protagonist and he's gone. No one's safe anymore. So, like, when you establish that early on in his series, again, this was early 2000s, this is early HBO, this is before Walking Dead, this is before Game of Thrones, like, it's going to keep you on the, the edge of your seat throughout the series. And there have been, like, other kind of similar unceremonious endings to major characters that you just don't expect, especially, especially Omar in the last season. Uh, season. Oh. Oh, totally. Yeah, there's characters you grow to love. Like you said, D'Angelo being being one of them. And the actor, I also knew him from Oz, which right. is another show that just loved to kill people off that you love. That is another show with, with huge cast. But yet, this show, you got, like you said, Idris Elba, who's charming, charismatic, good-looking. The podcast favorite. Oh, yeah. he's He always wins the sexy awards here. And <laughs> another sidebar, 
If you're an Idris Elba fan, I think the best thing he's been a part of is a TV show called Luther. Uh, it's a British show. came out in 2010. There's only a few episodes per season. It's it's five seasons, and each episode, each season's like three, four episodes. They're about an hour long. But he saw he's a genius murder detective, and he helps save people from some from from criminals, from murderers, and it's it's just brilliant. And he is fantastic, and I would highly recommend that if you're an Idris Elba fan. But back to <laughs> The Wire. Yeah, this show is there's something like you said about the way they tie together. The characters that you grow to love through the seasons, the good guys, the bad guys, all of it. And there is something real about the Baltimore area, how that you have the surrounding area, the characters involved in it. And it's it, it is one of the shows that sticks with you. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth noting how intimately tied the show became with the city of Baltimore to the point that when Michael K. Williams had recently passed, that they like took time to kind of celebrate his impact on the city as a fictional character, like a, a performance, which really speaks to, number one, the absolute level of of performance that he achieved in portraying Omar Little and the impact that the series had overall. They had like a moment of silence, I think, at an Orioles game. For, I know, the impact that he Michael had K. is Michael K. Williams, incredible. which is incredible. So, you know, it's a great series. Some of the characters, like you said, that are instantly recognizable, like you said, Omar Little, the character Bubbles, the character of uh, Lester Freeman, the characters of, let's see here, the other one. Bunk's a big one. Lieutenant Cedric Daniels is great. Lance Reddick, I love him. And then obviously Dominic West, who's more or less the lead of the show. Yeah, James Jimmy McNutty, who he's not the most likable guy at times. No, which I think is actually interesting because he is also supposed to be the protagonist and he just messes up in grand fashion multiple times. Mm -hmm. Like, aside from like womanizing, he's like driving drunk a lot and you're like, this isn't my behavior. Parent. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Parent. Yeah, is this? Yeah, he's. I think having him always so conflicted is is a strength of the show. Yeah, I think a lot of the shows we've talked about today have leading flawed characters that we can relate to. We're all not perfect, and these people right. are very flawed. But it makes for good television. It definitely makes for good television. Quick side note for Lance Reddick: fans of video games will recognize him as Commander Zavala in Destiny and Destiny Two, and probably Destiny Five Thousand. Yeah, he's. He's done a couple of voiceovers and video game work, and he's he's excellent. I've seen him in other movies and TV shows as well, and he, I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, he's great. So, Mark, it looks like we, we tackled a bunch of the shows that we wanted to talk about, and I still probably have a dozen or so others. So it looks like we might be returning for a TV episode two in the future. How's that sound? That sounds good to me. Awesome. Well, we are recording this towards the around Halloween spooky season. I don't know exactly when it'll hit your airwaves, but guys, get to the movies. There's a lot of really good movies out. Some big names. I mean, Dune is on streaming and not streaming. You got the new Bond movie in theaters, Venom 2, Shang-Chi, Eternals. There's a lot of good stuff going on out there. I'm sure Dear Evan Hansen, Mark, has been on your (laughs) radar as well. So yeah, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of good film out there today. Yeah, there's a lot of great great content out there. So if if you're uh, safe about it and you're comfortable, take a take a trip to the movies and enjoy some of these films on the silver screen. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. So it's a it's a good time to be a film fan after long lull of watching stuff at home or waiting for movies to come out as as movies continue to get pushed. So it is exciting again to have films as long as you guys are safe about it. So Mark, I want to thank you for joining us here again on the Hall of Fame movie, but sidebar TV podcast this week. Where can people find you? Uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you can find me on the interwebs at twitch.tv slash Fidelis, or on social media, I'm on twitter.com or instagram.com slash TV. Awesome. So thank you guys for joining us. We have a nice back catalog of movies we've talked about. We're some 40 or so episodes in. I think we've talked about 45 or so movies with some superhero stuff thrown in there, here and there. Every time we we, we see a new superhero movie come out, we, we 
kind of jump in and, and need to talk about it. So uh, there will be those to come soon. I'm sure with, we will have an episode on Shang-Chi and Eternals and Spider-Man and maybe right. some other episodes as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I don't think we're able to resist that, but we appreciate the, the support and you guys coming along for the journey with us as well. Yep. Thank you very much. So watch all those movies, watch some of those TV shows we talked about today, and we will see you guys all next time. From Mark and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame movie podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame pod or email us at the Hall of Fame pod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.